I actually experienced my uh, genuine conversion on New Year's Day. New Year's Eve to New Year's Day, I, my, without going into it too much in detail, my uh, friends in Guam convinced me, Guam is, is an island in the South Pacific, by the way. It's a little tiny island. I was living there. God had to drag me to an island in the middle of nowhere to get my attention. And uh, it was there that I, I was invited to a, an, a lock-in. It was, anybody ever anybody grow up in church and go to lock-ins? Um, they're stupid. They're, it's crazy. You, you gather a bunch of teenagers together, you put them in a room, you lock the door, and you say, you can't leave till the morning. And then all the volunteers wish they had died, and, uh, especially the next morning, because none of them sleep. They all stay up. They all get incredibly not intelligent, and, and it's great, because you know what's better to do with teenagers but to keep them up all night, jack them up on caffeine, and fill them full of processed food. It's awesome. Whoever thought of these was super smart. Anyways, so uh, I went to this lock-in, and, and uh, I won't say why I chose to go. It was not because of Jesus, but it was at a church, and <laughs> and um, the girl. And so uh, we, we, you know, I decided to go to this, and really, honestly, it was a girl, but really, my friend said, my, my band is going to play. He lied. It was a worship team. But still, so I went, and, and I'd actually seen the guitar player. I was playing in bars at the time, and I'd actually seen this guitar player play before a show that I had done, and so I wanted to kind of see him. So I went, and it was kind of going in there that I experienced genuine community amongst believers. I'd had the kind of powerful uh, God grabbed me by the back of the neck and pulling me toward him experience a few years earlier, but... But it, it didn't stick. That kind of high mountaintop experience didn't last very long for me. And so once that wore off, I honestly ended up worse off than I was before. And then I, I experienced as I walked into this place something that I had been longing for and searching for without going into too much detail. I saw people who loved each other. To put it quite simply and bluntly, they were people who had no reason to love one another that yet did. They were people that had a, a bunch of cultural differences, a bunch of uh, socioeconomic differences, a bunch of uh, different worldviews, viewpoints, and yet all of them, I could tell, didn't just love each other, but they genuinely cared and were concerned for each other, and that's what won my heart to the Lord. I had been grabbed by the back of the neck and, and saved, but I had never been truly converted, if that makes sense to anybody. And so for me, that was on New Year's, New Year's Eve. I remember sitting around... Um, a circle with a youth pastor who was desperately trying to get everybody to stop punching holes in walls and throwing things and lighting stuff on fire because it was a lock-in. And he kind of gathered us all together and tried to have this spiritual moment. And, and what was odd is I have no clue what he said. I still to this day, I couldn't tell you literally one word the guy said. For all I know, he spoke French. But I remember sitting in that circle and looking around and seeing people, and there wasn't very many of them, probably no more than 20, and seeing they had genuine love for one another, and I remember telling the Lord, if you can make me love people the way these people love each other and possibly help people to love me the way they love each other, I'll give you my whole life. And it was in that moment that I experienced a genuine conversion. So for me, um, New Year's is kind of a big deal. It's, it's, it's what some cheesy Christians call my, your spiritual birthday or your spiritual rebirth or for me, it's, it's a time I always stop and look back and reflect and, and uh, remember what the Lord has done, not only in, in that year, but big picture in life together. And what I'd like to do this morning, uh, I said we're kind of converging on several things. We're launching a new series this morning, last service of the year, 
I'd, I'd like to kind of try, if we can, to just talk and, and see how these two things line up, because I believe that God uh, wants to do some stuff in us and through us this year um, that's tied to this series. It's not just by chance that we're doing this series at the beginning of the year. Uh, it's by design, not only our design, but I feel very strongly that it's the Lord's design. So you've got your Bibles, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to start in, let's go back to verse 13. 1 Timothy 4, 13. It says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them. So that, you may, so that all may see your progress. Verse 16, this is the big one I want us to hear this morning. I'm going to spend most of our time talking about this. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by, do, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's read that verse again, verse 16. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in, the, in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's pray together this morning. Holy Spirit, we thank you. And I thank you for your presence here with us. I thank you that we are not left isolated and alone. We're not left um, wondering and wandering. We're not left in worship just singing about you. But I thank you that as we declare your goodness, as we declare who you are, you draw near to us, you show us your presence here with us, and you make yourself known to us. As we saw God so clearly in the last few weeks as we've been together, our only hope, our only prayer, our only uh, true rescue is in your presence coming and making itself known. And so we thank you so much for your faithfulness to us in coming and meeting us in this place week after week as we lift you up, as we worship you. And now, God, we ask that you would remain with us God, break within our hearts and in our minds this idea that you come during worship and then you leave and we talk about you. But God, we want, we want you to come and speak to us. We, we believe that you, your presence can be just as strong, if not stronger, as we open your word and as we hear you speak to us as your people. God, do that amazing, unique, weird thing that you do where you speak, God, to us as a people together, but yet somehow speak to our hearts individually. I don't know how to do that, but you are so good at that. So God, come and do what only you can do. Speak to us, transform us, change us, let our hearts be open and receptive to your word. Let our, let our lives be easily molded and transformed. Let the fire of your presence soften our hearts. Let the hammer of your word might mold and shape and transform us into doers of your word, hearers only in Jesus' name. Everybody said... Come on, everybody said? So Paul here is, is the, the seasoned minister talking to the newbie, right? He's the, he's the mentor talking to the mento. Mentee. Mento? Mentee? I like mento better. Mentor talking to the mento because he's fresh. And more than that, though, what we see is that Paul here is the father speaking to his son. He calls Timothy a true son. 
And, and, and as he's writing to him, he's, he's instructing him, he's, he's sharing with him. Realize that, that these, what we call books of the Bible, were letters written to a people or to a person. And this particular letter was Paul writing to a, a, a son, and he has concerns for him. He knows where he's at. We went over this, again, almost a year ago as we launched into our series in, in, in Ephesians. Uh, Timothy here is the pastor of the church in Ephesus. Ephesus is a crazy city. We know tons about it, both from archaeology and history and also from the Bible. Um, God did some amazing stuff in Ephesus, some crazy stuff. One of my favorite stories in the Bible where some some sons of a high priest, some religious nut jobs decided they're going to try to cast out a demon. And one dude, one demon-possessed guy jumps on top of them, beats them up, strips them naked, and they run out. It's, it's, it's just an amazing, anybody who says the Bible's boring has never read it. It's, it's awesome. God did that in Ephesus, and revival breaks out in Ephesus. And, and, and Timothy here is left as the pastor of Ephesus. Timothy's got experience. He's, he's been working with Paul. He's been traveling with Paul. But then Paul all of a sudden goes, hey, I'm going to leave Ephesus. You're going to stay here. So now Timothy's kind of out on his own. He's venturing into uncharted water for him. Uh, estimates say the church in Ephesus at this time was probably 50,000 people. 50,000 believers in this church in Ephesus. And back then, they didn't have multiple churches. It was one church. So Timothy here, it's like, hey, Timothy, um, we're going to send you out on your own. We're going to give you your first church, little church in this little town, Ephesus. It's just got like 50,000 people in it. You'll be fine. Go ahead. Have fun. And then to make things worse or better, I'm not sure which, he, he actually has in the front row of his church, Mary, the mother of Jesus. I can't imagine the stress this poor kid must have been under, right? Estimates say he was well under the age of 30. Some people say he may have been as young as 19 at this time in his life. And here he is, like, hanging out, trying to preach. And can you imagine, like, and when Jesus was alive, he did this and this and this. And Mary's like, no, he didn't. It's wrong. Misquoting him. That's not what he said. It's like, dang it. Like, I changed his diapers, I know. I mean, it's, it's, this is where he's at. And so Paul here is trying to encourage him. He's trying to instruct him. And his concern boils down at this point in the book, and I wish we could read the whole book. Someday we'll do a series on it. But he, he, he boils down at this moment in, in the book, as he so often does toward the middle of his letters, to kind of the point that he's trying to drive home to Timothy. And he says, look, watch out for yourself and for your teaching, or what some translations say, your doctrine. The, the idea here in the Greek, the contrast here, is, is yourself is kind of the external physical, and your teaching is kind of the internal mental spiritual. He's saying you, you have to approach this together as a whole. You have to think about these things. We're launching into a series right now we're calling Weird Stuff Christians Believe. Uh, now, this, this is not, I got some messages when we started posting this on Facebook and announced it. I got some messages on Facebook. Some people thought what we were going to be talking about, and I'm happy that they thought this. I'm glad people are actually thinking about what we're going to be teaching here. Um, <laughs> just being honest. Some people thought what we were going to be doing is refuting bad things that Christians believe. So we'd be like making a list of like weird stuff, bad weird. I don't think weird is bad. 
I don't think weird equates to negative. So what we mean when we say weird stuff is, is that when, when the world looks at some of what we believe, how many of you know that they go, that's weird? That's, that's odd. And we've said from the beginning here at Sozo, we are only as weird as we have to be. Well, what we're going to be looking at is the weirdness that we have to be. So we're going to be looking at the fact that as believers, we, we, we believe certain things. And now, make, let me make this clear. This is a prime opportunity for you to invite friends, family members who have questions about the Bible, about the gospel, about Jesus. We're going to be looking at really the core doctrines of the Christian faith in weird stuff Christians believe. And so today, what I want to kind of try to do is is prepare us to launch into this. But more than that, deeper than that, what I'm really wanting to do for us is kind of remind us and speak to us about what I really firmly, strongly believe God desires to do in us. Because what Paul here is telling Timothy is this. He's saying, look, Timothy, you've got all of this stuff that's happening, all of these crazy things that are going on in your life, all of this pressure, all of this weight is on you as the pastor of this great church. Jesus' mom is hanging out in the front row. You know he hears her when she prays, and she's going to tell on you if you do something wrong. So you've got to make sure you're doing this right. And he gives them all kinds of instructions about how to build leaders and how to, how to structure the church. And anybody who tells you that the church shouldn't have structures never read their Bible. And, and he gives them all of these things, and he, 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 he's teaching him, and he's talking to him, and then he comes to this point, and he says, but Timothy, don't forget the way you live and the way you think. Don't forget the physical, practical things of your life. Don't forget the, the, the deeper spiritual uh, teachings and doctrine of your life. And what I really feel like the Lord wants to tell us is what Paul was telling Timothy, and that's this. What God was going to do through you is directly tied to what you allow God to do in you. I know it's cheesy sounding, and it seems like it should be on a bumper sticker sold in a money changer's booth, I mean in a Christian bookstore. But what he's saying is you have to allow God to do something to you if you want God to do something through you. I hate talking like that, but it's, it's, it's truly biblical. So here's, here's what I want to do. We were going to do this earlier. This is awesome. This is actually working out great. Um, here's some verses, because I want us to get that how we, this is what I want us to see, how you think affects how you live. And your doctrine, you go, I'm not really a theologian, I'm just talking about doctrine. You have a framework, a construct, a, 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 a wall, a room, a spance in which you kind of frame and process everything. If you ever went to a Christian school, you heard the term worldview like 5,000 times. You have a worldview. Everyone has a worldview. And what I want to make sure for us as a church is that our doctrine is solid, that what's inside of us, the way we process, is solid. There is, I think, a very important correlation for us, and I'm going to step out of my own body for a second here. That's, I don't mean that weird. I mean it normal. It, and talk about myself for a second. We have a young pastor, right? Timothy was a young pastor. We, we, we have a, a, a situation here where, like Paul is speaking to Timothy, we need to be spoken to as a church. I and mean, we kind of made the joke at our house after our Christmas Eve service that we had to, like, we had to, you know, bus in older people to be in our choir. <laughs> or it would have all been, like, under 30. 
If you're over 30 in here, you're like, you're, you know, could be an elder, right? That's, that's weird. And so Paul here's like, look, Timothy, you're young and you're passionate and that's awesome, but don't forget about the way you live your life and about the way you process everything and what you teach. I want us to hear, we need to make sure we understand sound, solid, biblical doctrine. And you go, what does that have to do with anything? I was thinking about this yesterday. I worked yesterday, and I'm sitting there kind of like praying and processing, and I'm going like, God, what, what does this really have to do? I can, I can hear people thinking this as we launch into a series about the basic fundamental doctrines of the Christian religion, going like, what does this have to do with my daily life? Look, how you think about God has everything to do with your daily life. Where you believe you fit into the grand scheme of reality and history has a lot to do with your daily life. What you think Jesus really did for you on the cross has a lot to do with your daily life. And I want to make sure that we're thinking biblically about all of these things. So here's what we're going to be doing in this series. We're going to be looking at the basic fundamental doctrines of the Christian religion. What I'm hoping to be able to do as much as possible is not jump onto the things that we as Sozo believe, but I'm talking about if somebody calls themselves a believer, this is stuff they really need to kind of say yes and amen to. This is important, and I've got some verses here for us. This is Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 through 29. It says, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowd was astonished at his teaching For he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. God wants you to own what you believe. Jesus didn't come and go like, well, I learned about this from somebody else. He knew this. He owned it. This is important because, this is the way I did this. Isn't this awesome? See it with it? 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. I have to not preach this. I will go for four hours on this one verse. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. You need to own what you believe because, listen, while your faith certainly is experienced, And we believe that fully. I don't shy away from the experiential nature of the Christian religion. Like I I am as into theology and doctrine and studying as the next guy. But 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 to to claim that the Christian faith is all um, you know mental and internal and is not anything experiential is to deny the scriptures. It's both. But just because it's experiential, and we kind of lean toward the experience here, right? We push you in worship. We get really loud and annoy people, and that's okay. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be able to explain and explore our faith. The Christian religion does not demand you check your brain at the door as you come into the sanctuary. Some weird people do. But the scriptures never call us. In fact, the Bible constantly calls us to use our intellect to explore the depths of what God says to us in his word. You need to be able to to explain to people. When somebody comes up to you, so my hope is this, that you invite people who have questions about our faith and who have questions about Jesus and questions about the scriptures. You invite those people to come in, but also that as you're sitting through this and you're sitting at your desk, going through whatever job you have, 
and you interact with either clients and customers or fellow coworkers, you have a reason to go, why is it you believe that there's a God? That's weird. Yeah, we believe some weird stuff. We believe there is a God who made everything. And you know what's weirder is we don't just believe that there is a God. We believe that he's the most important thing ever. He's not like the side dish. He's the whole thing. You should have a reason. You should be able to to, to give a reason for why you believe. You should own it. 2 Corinthians 10.5. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. This is not talking, this is not talking about going out into the world and demolishing your friend's arguments and just proving them wrong and making them feel dumb. If you think you're going to sit through this and I'm going to teach you ways to make all of your unsaved friends feel like idiots, that's not what we're going to be doing. Last verse said you should be doing that with what? gentleness, respect. This is speaking personally. Paul here is giving them instructions to the Corinthian church. says, look, lots of stuff is gonna come at you. Lots of stuff. In the world we live in, we are bombarded with messages constantly and we need to take our thoughts captive, amen? Understand, we, we jive in together. We need, to, we need to learn how to do this and if we don't have a filter, my wife tells me I don't have one on my mouth, but we should have one on our brain. I don't. I'm, you, like, you all don't know that. It's like, yeah, we're here every Sunday. We get it. Um, we should have a filter for what we allow into our brains. Being able to take thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ, to make everything obedient to Jesus. Why? It's all about Jesus. Last but not least, speaking about doctrine and understanding, Romans 10, 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Our faith is built up as we hear the truth about who Jesus is. I said this a lot, the answer is not try harder. The answer is surrender more fully to Jesus. Doesn't mean that effort isn't exerted, that doesn't mean that that we have an excuse for sin or that we have an excuse for, for living contrary to what the Bible teaches us. What it means is that in order to find obedience, we have to find the strength that is given to us by Jesus in his word and through his spirit. Watch out for the way we live. We gotta watch out for what we believe and think. And probably one of the most famous verses in the Bible that people don't realize is in the Bible is Proverbs 23, 7. I got furious a few years ago um, because some crazy people latched onto this verse and tried to claim that the Bible taught things that it doesn't. They wrote a book that needs to be burned. It's called The Secret. And the verse says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. I actually was having a conversation with somebody, and they, they tried to tell me that that was a Buddhist proverb. <laughs> I was like, no, it's in the Bible. Proverbs, in the Bible, not Buddha didn't say that. Uh, like, no, I'm pretty sure he did. <laughs> no, he didn't. A guy named Saul said that. Saul, I thought you said it was in the Bible. Didn't Jesus write the Bible? Okay, let's keep having coffee and keep talking. <laughs> it was great. 
The whole verse, oh, let's just go there. Why not? It's not in the notes, but nothing is. Proverbs, you think I'm kidding. Proverbs 23, verse 7. I like the ESV way that they write this here. Let's go back to verse 6 so we understand this. It says, do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies, for he is like one who is inwardly calculating. That's what the King James, the New King James translates, as a man thinks, so he is. For he is like one who is inwardly calculating. Eat and drink, he says, but his heart is not with you. Ladies who've ever been out on a date with a Scrooge, this is that. Right, like this is the dude who like, hey, come out, let's go out to eat. Takes you to a fancy restaurant hoping you'll order the salad. And then when you order the steak, he's like, crap. By the way, hint, hint. That's why guys make you order first. So we know how much we have to spend after. <laughs> Gentlemen, if you're planning on taking a lady out, if you can't buy the meal, don't ask her out. Get a job. <laughs> Separate thing. That's what we're talking about here. What, what it's saying is this, is that outwardly we can be one way, but inwardly how we think, that's how we really are. That's what's really going on. How you think, how you process the inward things that are going on within you. Look, you can show up to church every week. You can sit through messages and amen and say all the good things that you think are being said and and rejoice in all of them. But if how you process information throughout your daily life is not in alignment with the word, is not in alignment with sound thinking, sound doctrine, sound theology, then you're not really there. And I want to make sure that we're all there. Because look, this is, this is what I mean when I say God can't do anything through you that you won't allow him to do to you. You can't outgrow your foundation. We can't outgrow our foundation. We, we said last year, or this year, as we launched into it, that, that we felt like God wanted us to grow relationally, spiritually, numerically, and financially. That was where we felt like God was calling us to grow. And, and please believe me, I know today doesn't look like it, but we have. <laughs> Tons of college students, they all go home, and they should. just makes me feel bad. <laughs> we've been growing, and we've grown financially. We've grown spiritually. But look, i tell you the truth. I don't, I've been kind of struggling with the Lord. This is, again, I just want to talk. I'm kind of struggling through and praying and seeking the Lord, because typically this time of year, God will begin to speak to me, usually beginning in the early parts of December, about what he wants to do in through the church in the next year. And I've got a few things that we'll talk about that are kind of new or, or fresh for us. We've, we're planning an event here um, that hopefully all of you can make it to that'll happen here in the next couple uh, weeks or months, but where we'll discuss some of this further. But really, I, I, the strongest thing I'm feeling is just a re-emphasis on the fact that he's not letting go of what he's already called us to. We don't need a new word. We don't need our ears to go. I mean, honestly, like I was like thinking, okay, God, that's the same thing. Let's come up with a new fun way to say it. Why? We're not four-year-olds, right? We can, we can hear this again and go, let's continue. Let's keep pressing in. 
So I want to make sure that our foundation is solid, that we grow our foundation, that we grow our thinking, and that we are all on the same page when it comes to the things that we need to be on the same page about. Look, as a church, we're kind of going out there with this idea that says we don't have to agree on everything. Probably picked up on the fact I'm pretty hardcore when it comes to Reformed theology, but you don't have to to be a part of this church as long as you're willing to hear it every Sunday. We, we, we believe in, in the present moving of the Holy Spirit and in the signs and wonders and gifts, but you know what? You don't have to be really into that to be a part of here. There's, there, there's open-handed issues for us, but that means even more that what we need to be closed-handed on, we're really clear about. So as we launch into this series, for us as a church, that's why we're doing it. We've got to be watchful over ourselves, the outward, yes, but also the inward, our teaching, our theology. We've got to own it. We've got to be able to explain it. We've got to be able to communicate it. We have to make sure that we're getting it from hearing Jesus, not through just some weird... I mean, honestly, because we live in a post-Christian world in our country, we have all kinds of stupid crap that we think is doctrine. I actually got in a conversation with a guy once and said... Well, you know, as the scripture says, the pot shouldn't call the kettle black. I don't know if you know this. <laughs> it's not in the Bible. It's a clever saying. It's right, but it's not truth. I want to make sure that we think biblically as a church. And hear me, I don't want the fact that we're a young church to give anybody a reason to point at us. I want people to be able to say, you know what? Yeah, they're young, but man, they... They believe the Bible, they love Jesus, and they're serving our city. Say something about us. Go ahead. So we're going to be pushing into these things this year, and we're going to be growing in these things this year. As we contemplate and think in our hearts, that's who we really are as a church. Who we are as a church has more to do with what's going on internally, I guess is what I'm trying to say, than even it does have to do with what's going on externally. Let's stand to our feet. If there's one thing, one thing we've said from the beginning that we want to make sure that we know, if there's one foundation, if there's one solid thought, if there's one thing that I want to make sure that we're built on, it's that our only hope is Jesus. That it is truly, fully, completely, ridiculously, scandalously all about Jesus. And I want to just let you all know that, that we're not shying away from that. As we're diving into deeper areas of doctrine, as we're diving into to deeper things, I don't want us to think, oh, okay, so we, we had kind of the, it's all about Jesus and now we're moving on to deeper things. No, we're going to show ourselves that all of this is all about Jesus. And we're going to call people week in and week out to put their trust, to put their faith in Jesus. Not in their works, not in trying harder, not in ignoring sin, but in confessing it and in trusting in Jesus. So let's pray. And don't, I'm going to ask you not to let me pray, but to have us pray. Turn our hearts toward him right now. This is the last time 
we get to worship this year in this place. This is the last time we get to kind of end this year, to, to kind of put a put a, 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 a emphasis on this. And I want to call us right now in this moment to cry out to the Lord to do something amazing in and through us, to do something to our hearts, to do something to our, our thinking, to do something to our, our constructs and our processes and our, 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 our mind and our faculties so that we might process that which comes to us the way we ought to, that he might do something in us profound and significant that would result in him doing something through us profound and significant. Look, I don't want him to do anything through me that he hasn't done to me. How painful and miserable would it be to watch God free people and me still be bound? God, come. Holy Spirit, come. God, we we do ask that you would draw all men to you, but God, we ask that you would draw us to you. God, we do ask that you would do powerful and amazing and profound and significant things. God, we ask that you would grow this house's influence in this city. God, that you would grow this church's influence in people's lives, that you would would gather people to this place. But God, don't grow us in numbers and not grow us personally. God, don't let us just become more in size, God. Let us become more in significance. Let us love you more today. God, come and do something in our hearts that would stop and leave us breathless. God, stop and leave us scratching our heads going, how did you do that? Not just practically, not just in finances and in numbers and in in campuses, God, but, but something deeper than that personally where we stop and turn around and go, how am I free from what used to bind me? How do I, how did I find this freedom and all we can answer is Jesus? God, be jealous for your glory. Be jealous. You're the only one who's worthy of it anyways. Do something so profound in us this year, God, that we can't take credit for it. God, that if we tried, people would just laugh at us. 